five years ago, what would you have said if you heard yourself just say what you said now? I would have said that you're absolutely crazy. <laughs> absolutely crazy. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Last week on the podcast, we got to know Alex Durney a bit, and she is a rancher now managing Colvin Ranch in Tenino, Washington, but that wasn't her background. She didn't grow up around farming or ranching, and just a couple of years ago, she was a vegetarian. She was a student at Evergreen State College, and just hearing about that change and what it's meant for her life has been so incredible and inspiring. This week, we get to hear more about what this means for her future. And she shares some really neat insights about the promise and the opportunity that this has given her joining the agricultural community and the new dreams that she has. It's pretty inspiring and it's such a great story to share with you of the real people like Alex behind the food that we eat here in the Pacific Northwest. Again, I'm Dylan Honkoop. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast, and it's all about my journey around Washington State to share with you these stories of the real people behind our food. Thank you for being with us and enjoy the second half of the conversation with Alex Stern. What's it like, and you, you touched on this earlier, saying that you don't really fit the mold for what someone expects for a rancher. What's it like to be a woman in the farming world? It's really hard. You're not taken seriously mm. at all. Um, by very few people are you taken seriously, I feel like. Um, and that's the biggest thing for me, especially since I'm so young. It's like, what do you know? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and that is really hard. But is that a young versus old or a male versus female thing? Or is that a background? That's a young versus old and male versus yeah. female. Um, and are you part of the family? That could be another element. I am to not that, you part know? of the family either. So right? yeah. <laughs> I am the one coming into a family ranch yeah. and kind of taken over. But I mean, so had, you- had their daughters taken over, they only had daughters. So they mm-hmm. would have had a female rancher mm-hmm. right there. So how do you deal with that? I just brush it off. Yeah, Females are growing in the farming and ranching industry. It's happening. Um, classes that I've taken, the female population within those classes is rising each year. Uh, more and more women are becoming interested in this. And I think it's because we're finally realizing that we don't have to stay within this stereotype that basically, I want to say like America and a lot of other countries have given us um we can do all of these things we are not these little fragile beings we can make it happen and even i don't want to mean this in a bad way but i mean sometimes we work a little bit smarter and not harder so even we just went through a workshop today where he said you can hire a cowboy or you can hire a cowgirl. You're probably going to make a better profit off of hiring yourself a cowgirl because they're not going to drive things as fast or break (laughs) things as quickly. (laughs) They're going to work with their brain, not with their Mm -hmm. muscles. So 
I mean, just a funny aspect of it. But I mean, things are changing. More and more women are becoming interested in this. And because of how things have been changing in society, we finally have the opportunity to embrace it. And it's great. You said earlier you something to the effect of you don't want to see it go away, meaning this kind, the kind of ranching that you're doing. Yeah, I don't want to see these small-scale ranches go away. The ones that are just going down like flies. <laughs> like, what, what, what are the pressures that are causing that to happen? Larger operations and also customer influence. Mm. Um, if more and more customers supported the lo- local smaller operations... There would be a demand for it. And cattlemen and women would not have to sell off their animals for super cheap. They would be able to direct market them to the public right next to them that's in their vicinity. So that's kind of the best part. They More people need to buy local. Support that. Um, it's mostly customers um, and where they are putting their dollar. Um, whether you're putting your dollar into buying from Tyson at the grocery store or you're going to your local farmer's market or co-op and buying directly from a ranch or farm that if you very well wanted to, you could drive by or possibly visit. What does this all mean for your personal life? For my personal life, uh, I feel like my personal life has been turned upside down the last two years. (laughs) Um, I know we we all have this dream of getting out of college and getting your dream job. This was not my dream job, but it's turning into it. And for kind of what this means for me is I have this whole new opportunity that I'm possibly being given. And I mean, this is a ranch that their children don't want to run it. They need to find someone to run it. And the fact that I have the opportunity to learn how to run it from the family who has been doing it since the 1850s is truly a gift. And to possibly be able to own it one day would be great and be able to run my cattle in the same way that I do now under their name and for their business. So the opportunity has given me a lot personally. Five years ago, what would you have said if you heard yourself just say what you said now? If you run, have, uh, if if you two about years a, ago, not even two years ago. A dream of running my cattle one day on this. Yeah. What no. would you have said? I would have said that you're absolutely crazy. <laughs> absolutely crazy. I never would have thought that. I, you would have asked me five months ago when they asked me if I wanted to buy in. I initially said no because it scared the crap out of me. The unknown is scary, but there's just such a big opportunity sitting there. With the way that things have been changing within the agricultural industry and also the political platform that this ranch in particular has. Mm. I went into freshwater ecology to make a change. And in order, had I continued that career path in order to obtain that and possibly make a change, I probably would have been in my 50s or 60s before I ever really got a chance to make a change. But sitting here now, I could possibly make a change before I'm 30. And that's fascinating to me. And make a change with an industry that so many people are hating on right now and want to see die. Is that part of the list of threats? Kind of. It's like a, it's like a, I want to prove them wrong. (laughs) How are you so, going to do that? How are you going to prove them wrong? Run cattle and how they were meant to be run and just do it in the best way that maintains the land, keeps that land, 
how it's been for almost what over now 170 years mm-hmm. um that land is immaculate <laughs> in my terms right. <laughs> to someone else's they'd be like this land is horrible <laughs> but again so, so just... you, you say it's your dream to not see this go away it's yeah. potentially your dream to one day call this ranch your own yes who knows what might may or may not happen yeah. right but you're saying it's becoming kind of maybe your dream job kind of thing. You're still not sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a purpose. Everyone's got to have a purpose. <laughs> and you're also talking about people who want to see that whole thing go away. What would your message to them be if you could just talk to them about it directly? Again, what would you say? Just, just having an open mind. Um, broadening what they see as the beef industry and what we do. It's not all the same can't put us all underneath the same umbrella there are a lot of different umbrellas and identifying the best ones and hopefully moving towards more of that and being open to that idea and working with them i want to be able to work with them having like all beef this like carnivore idea or this full-on herbivore idea we need to find a middle that works for everyone. And I believe that I'm on the side of the beef that could actually maintain and move forward and be able to create like a cohesive environment for these two ideologies to exist. And that's what I want to work towards. That's my goal. I want both of those things to exist in a place. Now that is a big dream. That is a big dream. Because so many people think it's not even possible right now. There's just too much polarization that people are kind of in their own camps on what they think about this stuff. And you're talking about blowing that up. I mean, a divided country we live in right now, divided in so many different ways. And at the end of the day, we all know that we need to just talk. We need to come together and we need to speak and we need to not only speak, but we need to listen. And we're not going to make a change unless we do those two things. So how can you do that from a ranch in Western Washington? Perfect. I'm a... located only about 15 minutes from the state capitol. Mm. It doesn't take me very long to go annoy some legislators about some policy. <laughs> what do they need to hear? Oh, I guess that's kind of hard because we, uh, we have the polarized communities working against each other. They're listening to both sides. So how can they really do it? What do they need to hear? It's not even, I guess it's not even really what they need to hear. We need to come together as a community first because they're not going to be able to decide on either side while we're still so divided because in their terms, no matter what they decide, someone is going to be angry. Whereas if we at least try to come together as a community, and even if you hate one kind of side of it, doesn't mean that you don't have to support it, but you can work to try and make things better on that side um, or at least come together to agree on something that maybe, you know, you, you got to give a little to get a little. Mm-hmm. So for us to come together and actually be able to go to our legislation about what we want to do would be the most ideal thing. But how we come together is difficult. Um, there are multiple organizations specifically within the meat industry that I know of, um, 
of trying to get more people in the meat industry, beef, poultry, these other sides of it to come together to create again more of a platform to be able to really show people what the small portion, the small family farms, what they're all about so that there is more of that voice so that people can see that so that hopefully we can sooner or later get to that point where we can come together as a community and kind of not really come to a decision, but get more in that gray area as we were talking about earlier to come to a decision to bring to our legislation and possibly actually make a change within this country. But in order for us to be more comfortable, we have to make ourselves uncomfortable. What's uncomfortable going to look like? I mean, vegans kind of being okay that there might be some beef out there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, But also like the beef industry being completely fine with really drastically overhauling things and giving a little bit towards a more environmentally friendly way of doing things and protecting the land. Because if we don't do that, why are people who are so against the beef industry ever going to want to come over onto our side? You don't have to love it. You just have to be okay with it. Is it helping us move in that direction when people are ranting about, you know, no one should be eating beef ever under any circumstance? And if you do, you're a terrible person. Yeah. No, I believe that that is making the divide so much deeper, personally. Um, whenever people are aggressive, I, I guess that's probably the best term to use aggressive on their technique of conveying their ideology. I don't want to be part of a group that's aggressive or accusatory or any of those things. That's not a space or people that I even really want to surround myself with. So to me, with like just looking at that for face value, it really turns me off. But also you could turn the exact same thing towards beef. Um, and I understand how, where those vegans are coming from. And that's a, how I've been saying of like, we really just have to come together. We can't polarize each other mm-hmm. in that way. Um, we're not going to make a change by excluding others. What's you the, need to uh, include others. In that equation, you know, let's say, let's put the, you know, like militant vegans on one end of the spectrum. What's the other end? I mean, those would be the meat and potato guys. <laughs> like that's all you need. Like, what is this mm-hmm. kale sitting on my plate for? Like, but I, I don't see and them like out the, like the, the grain. I don't usually, cause they're not cause they know that they have a place. People yeah. eat beef and people love it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to tell people not to eat beef. So maybe that's why vegans have to be so aggressive about it. Do I think that's the best way of going about their message? No. A lot of the time, the polar vegans are just really driving people away from that doorstep (laughs) by being too aggressive. I mean, would they be still super mad if they came onto a ranch similar to ours where they're able to just see animals grazing about? I mean, we've had evergreen students come out that are no longer vegan or vegetarian because they for the first time saw that there are other options like they simply didn't know and for different people i mean vegans have their different reasons why they're vegan there's the environmental and then there's the emotional i totally get the emotional i'm not going to try and change the way that you think about beef like if that is how you feel great do not change that but 
with the environmental aspect, there are things in this world that have far worse environmental impacts than a small family ranch. Your car driving back to work is probably a larger environmental impact just for you (laughs) on a daily basis than it probably is for like half of our ranch. You think There's there's bigger issues. I think that there's also a lot of data that is messed up. Not messed up, but um, there's a lot of private party data being collected. and Data all, on what? Just uh, CO2 emissions, greenhouse gases, all, mm-hmm. all these different things. There's a lot of these private party surveys going on and data coming out. And which ones are really true is the hard part. I think we're struggling with that, not just with what we're talking about, but with so many other things right now. Finding the facts and weeding through everything to find out what is truly a fact is becoming more and more difficult. And it's requiring more and more time by the consumer in order to figure that out. What's been the hardest thing coming into the farming, ranching world from your background, which really isn't that at all? Uh, Pretty much non-existent. (laughs) Um, The largest challenge, learning everything. Learning this industry is so complex and there's just so much to it on a daily basis. I love my job because I go to work and it's different every single day, but it is also the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I've had to learn more than I think four years of college ever taught me uh, in a matter of a couple of months in order to make sure that I could actually be productive for them as a business like from a business standpoint, um, that's probably the hardest thing was the amount of information that I had to just jam into my brain, which then made it so obvious how much information the public does not know. And I think that's kind of a special part. I went from being this person of just general public taking sides, being a vegetarian and coming into this and just basically completely turning my world upside down in a sense and just opening my mind to what this industry really is. And it's a lot more than people see. If you only had 30 seconds to convince somebody of that, what would you tell them? Oh, the elevator talk. That Yeah, that that the world that you're in is different than people think. Oh gosh, how would you even ever explain that to someone in 30 seconds? You can't explain that to someone in 30 seconds. That took me months. I'm still learning. Um... I mean, I feel like people should just know that what you see, I mean, everyone has a different view of everything. Your view of the world is completely different from my view of the world. And just being open to listening to those different sides and taking in all the information that you possibly can to make yourself a more educated consumer. And that's the thing, I'm not going to try and change their mind. I just want them to be more educated. I want them to step more out of their comfort zone and look at what's really going on. Go to these ranches. If you really want to be against it, really look into it. Don't just hate it. Mm -hmm. It's like when your mom always told you, like, don't hate it until you try it with a food item. Like, Mm -hmm. just because sushi has raw fish in it. doesn't mean that it's going to be disgusting. You can't hate it until you try it. (laughs) (laughs) But if you do try it and you don't like it. Great for you. I'm not going to try and change your mind. Right. And I don't really think that there is a cattle person who would try and change your mind. 
if you don't like it, it's not for you. Great. But don't hate it until you try it. Or at least don't hate it until you investigate it a little bit more and truly understand it as a consumer. What about yourself, though? You say you've learned so much in the last two years that it's you've described it as like you're turned your life upside down. It has. What about the next two years or the next 10 years or more? What are you going to say in five or 10 years about the positions that you have right now? Or could your mind change on other things? Yeah. I mean, I'll always be open to new things. The world's going to be changing a lot, too. Um, I mean, as most people know, we are now calling this a climate crisis. That's going to have a lot to do with what happens in the next 5, 10, 20 years. And for me, I just want to be able to hopefully grow with that um, and continue to adapt to it to make sure that people still can have sustainably raised meat whether that is still going to be beef, I don't know. Um, but there are other animals that do have lower impact on the land. And if that's the way that I have to move in order to continue growing as a business and also to just adapt to the environmental changes, I mean, we are every year is the newest worst drought year. And it could be very possible that at some point in time you can't raise cattle on that land, but just adapting and changing with that. But for me, it's going to be changing with the land and what the land gives me the capability of. I don't think that my idea on animal products is going to change entirely back mm. to my point of vegetarianism. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's my point with if I can't run cattle, I'll try and run something else until they can't be run anymore. Well, thank you for opening up and sharing your personal story. Your journey really is what it is um, to get to this point. And I'm really excited to watch and see what happens too. Because it sounds like you... you you want to do cool things with this ranch that you're managing and you know there's this future of you know maybe it's your ranch someday but you want to do stuff beyond that i do i do so we will we will definitely see what happens and thank you so much for having me this is the real food real people podcast these are the stories of the people who grow your food i just loved it when she said really this has given her a new dream and, you know, so many young people grow up and especially go to college and, and, and have dreams about changing the world. But what does that actually look like and how are they going to do it? And her explanation of how joining the farming community actually bumps that up for her and makes that a much more real possibility and makes it happen sooner. So she's really pumped for what she's doing, and it's so cool to see. Thanks again for being with us here on the Real Food, Real People podcast. We've got more great conversations coming up. Um, I've been talking with a lot of cool people and excited to bring them on the program here with you. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, and a lot of other services. So make sure to do that. Please also follow us on social media. That would be awesome as well. Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter as well. You can find us on those channels pretty easily. And anytime, if you feel like it, you can certainly reach out by email, dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org. Thank you again for being here, and we will be with you again next week with another incredible story of the real people behind your food here on the Real Food, Real People podcast.
The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org.